However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she was falling asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard, and they told me that uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? You know, I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You can't You can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't <laughs> even show them on TV. Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your weekly dose of PTSM. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, I am loving the variety of guests we've been having on the podcast as of late. Uh, some of the new emerging stars of wrestling last week was definitely an episode with a man who has certainly gotten the notice of the world of professional wrestling. Joey Janela uh, joined us, and uh, he's known for taking some hellacious bumps. But according to Joey, you know, it's all controlled chaos. Uh, with that, I'm sure you can expect to see uh, more uh, coming uh, to AEW now that uh, Joey's officially on their roster. But uh, I really, really enjoyed my conversation with him, and uh, I can't wait to see what he does with this uh, new organization, AEW. Of course, uh, headed up by Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and uh, all the rest of those folks. Um, this week, though, we're going back. Uh, to the uh, WWE and the Attitude Era, uh, as we welcome an individual who realized very early in life he was good at physically dominating other humans. Uh, he was a tremendous amateur wrestler, uh, but really became known around the globe for what he accomplished in the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, to date, uh, he has over 100 victories in MMA competition. Uh, but all of that uh, wasn't enough, so uh, along the way he became a professional wrestler. And uh, spent time first with the NWA and then with uh, and with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, you know, and Jim Cornette, uh, before arriving in the WWE during one of the greatest times in the company's history. Uh, this week, we welcome the beast. Dan Severn is going to join us. Uh, but first, though, uh, we have a little business to take care of. Uh, you know, have you become a Patreon member of the Prime Time with Sean Mooney podcast? If you haven't, uh, really, why not? Uh, we are having a blast with it, and whatever uh, tier you choose, you're going to love it. I mean it. Yeah, I promise. It is uh, very easy to become a member. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney, and besides getting the podcast ad-free a day before anyone else does, there are all other kinds of perks that come with it, and guess what? It just got better. Uh, we have added the ultimate tier. We, we, it, it, we have found it. We have uh, come up with it. It is, it is just awesome. It is called, appropriately, the Legion of Who. I love that title. The Legion of Who. This is what this tier is called. And uh, with this tier, uh, you not only get all of the other great perks that uh, come with being a Patreon member of Primetime with Sean Mooney, 
but when you sign up, you're automatically going to get a PTSM T-shirt of your choice from the collection. And then after you're uh, with us uh, for six months, uh, you get to do a PTSM, a primetime with Sean Mooney bonus podcast episode with me featuring you. That's right. We will record a podcast together and you will be my guest. And then it will appear as a bonus episode right there with all the rest on Patreon. So come on. How fun is that going to be? Wouldn't you love to do that? So if you haven't signed up yet, do it soon and get in on all the fun. Just go to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. That's patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. All right. That's enough business. It's time to lock up with our guest, one of the toughest men on the planet, Dan Severn. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, folks, I am honored to have a very special guest on the podcast today, a man who spent time in the WWE, but while part of his legacy involves professional wrestling, he is best known for his career as a martial arts fighter and is considered to be one of the toughest individuals to ever step into the cage uh, with over 100 victories. Dan Severn, thank you so much for coming on Primetime. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm just having a, you know, it's a beautiful day out here in Arizona, sun is shining, you know, I wear shorts and a T-shirt. The, out, the exact outfit that I could not wear if I was back in Coldwater, Michigan. Yeah. You know, uh, Dan, doing the math here, though, you are an absolute freak of nature. Uh, you're in your 60s now. I don't know if you've ever really stopped competing. And most uh, people uh, in your line of work uh, stop maybe in their 30s, maybe if they're really well-conditioned in their 40s. How in the world have you been able to continue to fight all this time? <laughs> and I mean well, in every I, aspect. When you're I, in professional spar, wrestling, you're I, fighting. I spar with my better half on a daily basis, but you don't want to know <laughs> something. She's the undisputed champ. <laughs> I've never went about there yet. but uh, So I have to go out into a cage and do other things with, with less of that. So I... I I use a lot of comedy stuff like that. More, more people willing to listen to comedy than they are someone that that's a little bit too too full of themselves. But no, it's the the reality is I when I started my my cage fighting career and I and I use that term cage fighting because some of your audience knows it as mixed martial arts. Some of it, the older audience, they, they know it as NHB, which stands for No Holds Barred, and that's what it was known as when it first began back in 1994. And I've been involved with it ever since its uh, inception. And, you know, I'm still a part of it even today. I mean, I, I look at, like, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, the best-known uh, MMA company in the world. I've uh, They've had, I believe, four different ownerships. I've worked for all four different ownerships so far, and I think I'm probably the only one that could say that. Could say that. But it's because, you know, I'm... I, I don't uh, BS people. I, I pretty much, uh, you know, I'll say that I'm not everyone's uh, cup of tea, but I'm more of an acquired taste. But uh, you know, you, you know where you stand with me at all times because if you if you if, if you ever question it, just ask me, and I'll let you know. <laughs> you know, backing up here now, and, and we're talking about you know just the incredible condition that you've really been in your whole life. Um, you, you grew uh, up. No, no, it, it, Sean, let, let me cut you off right there. Really? I mean, it, it's, uh, people are, are amazed at what I've done, you know, especially when you look at the age. So let's, let's keep it really real here right now. 
The reality yeah. is I started a cage fighting career at 37 years of age, just before turning 37, but close enough to simply say, yeah, 37 years of age. Nobody starts a cage fighting career at 37. You well, they retire away, then. You retire, you retire from, yes, but yeah. that's what opportunity presents itself. So I, in my mindset, I said, well, let me try this. I'll, I'll try it one time. Well, one time went okay. Well, let's try another. Well, one year led to five years, led to 10 years, to even you know, a 20-year career I had with this. Even in my final few years, when I'm realizing I'm older than most of my opponent's fathers, <laughs> I, started, I started realizing maybe I better exit. Well, not really so much that, but... I'm seeing opportunity. My my brain is saying move, 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 move. But by by the time the wire goes from my brain to my body, my body is saying, okay, that's mm. not a good combination. Because yeah. when you lose in mixed martial arts, you are taking physical damage, physical harm. And I wanted to I wanted to know that when my career comes to an end. I want to have most of my mental faculties. I want to be able to be able to move around physically to the best of my ability, knowing that my biggest competitor or my biggest competition is going to be Father Time. He's the undisputed champ. I just want to mm-hmm. stay in the game as long as possible, but I want to have quality of life as well. So really to answer your question, what is one of the main reasons for Dan Severn's longevity in such a harsh sport, and that is not trying to be something that I was not. I was a world-class wrestler, and when I walked into that octagon, I told myself, do not deviate from. I'm not going to sit up there and try to put my fist like I'm the Dukes of Hazard right now because it ain't going to happen. I started my amateur wrestling career back in seventh grade in 1969. I didn't start a cage fight career until 1994. Even if I stopped wrestling altogether, the scale was never going to balance on out. And again, I only I only was planning on one event, two, five, score, okay, let's do another, and so on. So, you know, like I said, it's a, I, I did, I played to my strengths, even though I'd be in some places and people are bored because they don't like that they're, they're looking for more action. Well, I'm playing by the rules. If you want if you want something different, go watch a different product or change the rules. I'm I'm an intelligent enough competitor. Even I have probably given Big John McCarthy, the best known MMA referee in the world, I I gave I, I was a lot of frustration to him because he knows that I'm an intelligent fighter. When he first <laughs> took it, you, you see, I have a gift of gap, and I go from one tangent to the other. I go, the first time I met Big John, I was, in, I was inside the octagon. Didn't figure that one out now, did you? John's, mm. John's very, John is very professional. He comes up to you, the fighter, fighter and he goes through his, his stick of, you know, if you're in trouble, he says, I'm going to be speaking to you, and he goes, I'm going to need some kind of reaction, whether it's going to be a visual or a thumbs up or something like that, to know you're still in the game, otherwise I'm going to be stopping the match. I mean, he's very, very thorough about what he, what he right. says to you. And then at the end of it all, he, he always says, are there any questions? And then he turns from you to your corner man, then to go into the stick that he does with, with the corner man. So my first time there, I don't really know the whole stick, so he's going through it. And he gets to the point, there are any questions. I can't take of nothing. So as he's turning away, 
I simply just blurt out, you know, where did all that money go that my parents paid for piano lessons? <laughs> and he said he heard it, but when he turned back to me, he said it couldn't come from me because I got my game face up. Uh. And then the second time, you know, because again, to, to educate the audience, is it's it's all single matches today. The the, the you know, they don't really want you doing multiple matches right. in a Not tournament style. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, back then we're, we're talking about the eight-man tournament, three matches in a night. So by, by round two, he's coming up and he's going right into the same monologue. I realize, oh, same stick is coming here again. So now I'm prepping myself. And so now it gets to the point, are there any questions? I go, yeah. If you would just give me the winning lotto ticket numbers, I wouldn't be doing this. And he looks at me. <laughs> Shocked knowing that this is the same guy that just said that comment to me before yeah. about the, where did the money go for, for you know, piano lessons. And so I get that, you know, his wife, Elaine, um, was the, the travel coordinator at that time for the UFC. He's telling her that, that I'm crazy and nuts. And more, as they get to know me, yeah, I'm having dinner with them, the family home nine years. She knows that, no, I'm not nuts. I'm just very... I'm very confident in what I do, and, I, and I'm very, very relaxed. They've actually had some doctors check my heart rate, <laughs> and they are shocked as to how low my heart rate is before walking into like an athletic contest where you could do everything except bite a person and stick a finger in their eye socket. Mm. Amazing. You know, uh, you mentioned about wrestling, and it's kind of like the base of your career, that uh, you said you never, you know, really is, got too far from that, no matter what you were doing. But uh, you know, you were an incredible athlete as a kid. I mean, you were, uh, you know, a, an All-American. You were uh, the professional. Uh, I mean, uh, the uh, wrestler of the year in high school, of the national wrestler of the year. Uh, has that, you know, that early on of that? Did you realize you had a gift? Because I know you kind of did it accidentally. A coach asked you to step in, but uh, did you immediately realize that you had a talent for this? I would say for it came to wrestling, I, I started realizing I had a, a, another option. What I mean by that is that, you know, as I'm in my, my freshman year in high school, I'm, you know, I, I read my very first amateur wrestling magazine ever. Mm-hmm. My uh, high school wrestling coach is also uh, a history teacher, no, excuse me, government teacher. And he had a stack of magazines. Well, I, I just happened to see the stack of these amateur wrestling magazines on his desk and and I said, do you care if I, I read a couple of these? And he goes, oh, be my guest. So as I'm you know, perusing through and reading article after article, it expanded my mind because at, at that time, I simply just did whatever the coach said to do. But then as I'm reading these, these magazines, there's, there's articles about you know stretching exercises for wrestling. There's weightlifting programs for wrestling. There's vitamins. There's nutrition. There's uh, the, uh, you know the setting of goals. There's uh, you know the, the 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 psychological aspect. I mean, I was like, wow. I was simply blown away because at that point, you know, I said I did everything else. I, I was just doing whatever the coach told me to do. But now I'm realizing. There's so much more to this. You know, one of the first things I did was I set a goal to be the first freshman ever at my high school to make the varsity team. Again, mm-hmm. it's a comical story, but I, I, I did. I achieved my goal. My point, my point here should be to answer your question is that I'm, well, by my sophomore year, uh, well, excuse me, I, 
at that point, I'm, I'm thinking, well, gee, in a couple of years, I'm going to be graduating out of out of high school, and how am I going to go to college? Because my parents, I, mean, I have seven other brothers and sisters. Asking my parents to pay for college was not going to be the equation. I mean, they got seven, they got eight kids just to take care of first place. That that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I kept thinking. A couple of my buddies had older brothers who, upon high school graduation, went into the military for a, I believe it's a six-year stint, came out and went to college on the GI Bill. So I think myself, that's what what I'm going to do. Option number one, done. But by my sophomore year. I'm just I'm starting to have some success to where the very first of the colleges are taking notice of me. So now I'm realizing, oh, we've got option number two. We've got possibly a, a collegiate uh, scholarship right there. And that's when I started putting even that much more effort into my collegiate career. I'm excuse me, my, my uh, high school career and, and going to more camps, clinics, and things of that nature. I really should say I, 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 I did that even during my, my freshman year. You know, that was my first year going to camps that was being between freshman and sophomore year. And uh, like I said, just, just learning more knowledge and then uh, and just knowing that I, I like that opportunity to walk out on that mat knowing that it's mano a mano. I, I, I love... I, I, you, you really only know about my my amateur wrestling career, MMA career, professional wrestling career, but I love the sport of football more than anything. Oh, really? And I, I, I yeah, no, I, I during my high school career, you know, during the, the fall I played football in the wintertime, uh, wrestling, and in the springtime track and field. And the uh, track coach was was pissed because he he knew that uh, I, I did the track simply just to stay in shape because once the high school wrestling season come to an end, then the spring and summer season would kick in for wrestling. And so I just kept doing the track as a conditioning thing. But surprisingly, I was not half bad at the hurdles. Uh, I was actually even better yet at the, uh, the shot, the discus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the funny part is even as a shot putters, our shot putters, we, we would run we would run the 440-yard relay team, and they're all carrying batons, and we would actually have to carry a 12-pound shot put, and we actually beat teams. And we had to hand off a 12-pound shot put. So, again, <laughs> not, not that I was a blazing speed, because I, I mean, but, but, for, but for a white kid, yeah, I, I was. Okay, I'll put it like yeah. that. Yeah. So, but uh, your focus became wrestling, and, and you were starting to get uh, very yeah. recognized. I'm, as I mentioned, you were the outstanding high school wrestler in the nation. Uh, I guess I don't know if that was your senior year. So you get um, a a scholarship. Was it Arizona State that you, did you have several offers or? or well, what? in nineteen seventy six, my senior year in high school, I yeah. was literally I was the number one the number one recruit in the, the country at my weight class. I even had a congressional nomination so I could go tour for the Air Force Academy and that as well. So I I was a jock with a brain, is what I tell people, because I, I put a lot into my academics as well. I mean, even at, at, at my, when I went to sign up uh, to go to Arizona State University, you know, uh, I had to walk in the way there with the uh, Student Athlete of the Year Award as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer that you're, even now, I try to teach it to, to young people that your athletic career will only 
go so far. And you better have people skills. You better have other skill sets to fall back upon. And that's where a lot of athletes, especially professional athletes, they're lacking in that area. They, they've been doing that. They've been a one-dimensional person for so long. They don't know how to move from that athletic endeavor and now into the business world. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I remember at that time because I, uh, I went to Arizona and I remember that Arizona State uh, had an incredible reputation for that wrestling team. And, uh, you know, for people who don't uh, realize, and you don't see a lot in college sports now today, but back then, uh, uh, what was that program like and, and what was collegiate wrestling like? Well, I mean, uh, the uh, collegiate wrestling, well, it, you, you shared with me before that, that you're, you're from the University of Arizona, Wildcat, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, University of Arizona, they had a program in wrestling, I think, up until, well, was it, uh, I think it was uh, maybe the mid, mid-80s, I think is when they ended up losing, either mid-80s or, or mid-90s that they ended up yeah. losing uh, the program there. I, I, I'm trying to think that I could be off but my Arizona, But Arizona State, though, they they had they were a powerhouse. I mean, I just remember them being well-known for their, their wrestling team. Well, but the combination that they had, they had uh, a couple uh, gentlemen that uh, were former wrestlers at Arizona State that, that yeah. did well in, in the business world. And they mm-hmm. helped create the Sunkiss wrestling program. And yeah. the, the Sunkiss was basically, you know, they, there was a theme. Uh, and, yeah. and the theme was, how can we take our wrestlers from the womb to the tomb mm. and even giving them opportunities? So uh, that was one of the reasons that I ended up signing with Arizona State University is that, you know, I came out for my recruiting trips because I took, you, you know, at the time, I don't know if that has changed or not, but at the time, you were only allotted six uh, recruiting trips. So I took all six mm-hmm. recruiting trips. I went to major schools of Iowa, Iowa State. Wisconsin was a powerhouse. Uh, I think Ohio State was another powerhouse. So I, I ended up going to all the powerhouses and, and uh, seeing what they had to offer, and I made it. I made it well known that I wanted the best of both worlds. I wanted to be involved with a good collegiate program, but I also wanted to be involved with an international wrestling program because I always felt that I was a better international wrestler than I was doing what is known as folk style. Folk style, uh, folk style, we are the only country in the world that does folk style. Folk style is what we do with our junior high, our high school, on a collegiate level. Um, the rest of the world does freestyle or Greco-Roman. These are mm-hmm. the two styles that are competed on an annual uh, basis at the world championships and every four years at the Olympic Games. So as a whole, the United States is behind the times when it comes to freestyle Greco because for the first 20, 21 years of your life, you're doing folk style. Then upon collegiate graduation, you are already at that, that, uh, that 21, 22 year mark tour. Now your only opportunity is to represent your country is it freestyle or Greco? But I, I, mm-hmm. I took to it in, in uh, like I said, my, my, literally in my freshman year in the high school, I started just doing a lot of different things because unless we knew that the more experience I could get, whether I'm doing folk style, freestyle, Greco, it's still taking people down and putting them on their back, but each style is just a little bit different than how they set up the, the set of rules. But like I said, in the 76, I was the number one recruit in the United States. 
I come out to Arizona State. Um, I, I meet one of the former Western alumni, and they basically said, they said, uh, you, you sign with the Arizona State University, and uh, he'll start up a, a freestyle wrestling program. So I always tell people, I am the original yeah. Sunkiss Kid. Sunkiss Kid. Yeah, that was in 1976, and, and uh, boy, what a, a legacy of that uh, program with the 55 Olympic medalists and uh, you know so many other great champions, U.S. national champions than uh, any other uh, wrestling club. And you were the you were the original. I mean, that's where it all started, right? Yeah, with you. Yeah, that started with that program. I mean, it, it's it's, a, it's an incredible uh, club program now. I mean, it's uh, you know one you know rated uh, they probably in one of the top ones in the country just for the opportunities that it has given. It's got ongoing programs. Uh, that is utilized right, right at Arizona State University. You know, they've uh, helped invest additional money in, into a uh, wrestling room and uh, equipment to where, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I'll, in my, when I was going around for recruiting, you know, one of the most impressive schools I went to was, was Iowa University. I mean, for how many mats that they had out on the floor and how many people could be working out simultaneously. But then they had a weight room that was right there. Then they had a big old sauna room that was right there. Just had all this cool convenience. And, of course, they had uh, Coach Dan Gable that was there. And yeah. uh, so, I mean, there, there was a lot of winning combination. And that was kind of a tough one. But then even at, at Wisconsin, I, I've got Olympic silver medalist um, Russ Hellickson that's talking to me and, and goes, I'll, I'll be your personal workout partner. You know, every day, seven days a week. You know, so I mean, I had some great, great opportunities that were being presented uh, to me. You know, again, one of the other topic ways that really kind of swayed me is that I have an older brother, Dave. My brother Dave was the very first state champion ever for my high school, Montrose Hill McCoy High School. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was the first state champion. I became the second state champion. More, literally, we're, we're probably, you know, in that wrestling room, there was a lot of sibling rivalry. I, I, I had to admit that. I mean, he was, you know, he was setting the bar, and then I was trying to come along and trying to break the bar, raise raise the bar, really, is what I was trying to do. Not that I was trying to break it, but, but to me, it's like records are made, are meant to be broken. And I have, yeah. uh, you know, and I always tell people, my career is a demonstration of that because I tried finding things on out and I go, okay, I'm goal I'm goal oriented. Even as I'm, I'm I'm talking to you uh right now, Sean here, I've got my planner laying right here in front of me. Yeah. Two thousand nineteen is no different than two thousand eighteen or seventeen or sixteen or ten or twenty years ago. I I, I live out of a, a planner and I set goals and I achieve most of my goals. Mm. I haven't I haven't I haven't achieved them all but I set some pretty hefty goals out there for me, and it's kind of going, just like you said earlier, now, I'm a 60-year-old cat now. I don't look 60. I don't act 60. <laughs> so yeah. if you see me out on the mat still, I don't move, I don't move like 60. <laughs> no kidding. But you talk about these goals, and I know that uh, you, you know a big one was for you to win an Olympic medal, and uh, you had those opportunities in, in 84 and in 88, um, and uh, it, it didn't... Uh, come to fruition i mean when you didn't get a medal but you were in the, the trials and uh but you said that was really a driving force in your life that that oh, changed yeah. your life forever sean you and i wouldn't even be talking right now because mm. had everything gone right for me i would have retired back in 1984 mm. but since things did not go the way i hoped them 
I always tell people that for roughly two years from that, uh, from that uh, uh, 84 to 86 period of time, I ruled the world. Mm. And he walked out on the mat against me. I was going to break physically. Yeah. I was going to break mentally. I was going to beat. So mm. when, when people are amazed at what I did in mixed martial arts, I go, oh, that, that, that was called Dan Severn Residue. Mm. I, you know, scrape off the bottom of your shoe, that's probably what I was giving you at, at that point in time, but my residue is probably better than what most people could muster up in the first place. I'm not saying to be braggocious. I'm just, mm. I'm, I, I come from a farm, farming background. Yeah, I was raised, raised, raised on, a, on a farm. My father was not a farmer by trade. He worked, he worked in the automotive industry. But we also had a 120-acre farm that I grew up on. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a Tom Sawyer type of a, of, a, of a childhood because you name it, it was there to see and to do. I mean, I, did, did I know we were poor? No, because there's always food on the table and there were stains to do mm-hmm. all the time. 120 yeah. acres, and I've got a couple of different rivers that run through there, so fishing and swimming and uh, building forts and playing, but then there's all, all this work that you had to do there along with it because there's fields that need to be tilled, the crops that need to be harvested, and, uh, oh, uh, Dan, do you like to eat? You know, yes, I do there, Dad. Well, so do the animals. So and and uh, so each morning you have to make certain that, that you go out and take care of the animals before you got taken care of, and then you had to do this all and still walk up uh, a half a mile to uh, catch the bus each morning. Yeah. So, you know, Please. there was there was there was structure that was put into my life at a very early age that uh, you know it still runs to this day. And even when you got back home, you still had to go out and take care of the animals again. Yeah. And it, did, it don't matter, you know, there was no normalcy to it there because. It wasn't a normal, okay, school's done, I go home. No, there's wrestling practice that you go to. So now it could be a, a, you know, at the, a wrestling practice. Or maybe you went to a school meet, or you went off to a football game, or you went off to a track meet. And it might be midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, but you're still out there feeding the animals, watering the animals. Or one of the jobs I did for seven years was milking Peggy the milk cow. Mm. Well, you know, um, Dan, you mentioned, uh, you know, about wrestling and, uh, I had an opportunity to work with a lot of MMA fighters doing some uh, television production work, uh, a few years back. And I always found it so interesting because I did, a, got to do a ton of interviews with them and the guys that had a, an amateur wrestling background, uh, seemed to be the most successful. And, uh, because they said, if, if you've got that, you can learn the other skills, the, uh, the striking and, uh, and that kind of thing. But unless you know the the science of the you know leverage and how you uh, you know work your weight and, and uh, how you uh, can you know take a man down or, or an opponent down, uh, you've got an advantage right there. And so uh, when you made that transition to cage fighting, and also I, a lot of them told me that you know from what the pain they endured and and the the matches that they they uh, uh, endured during their time as amateur wrestlers was was nothing. Uh, compared, to, you know, the, you look at the the matches that they had in a cage. They said those matches don't compare to the pain that I endured as a an amateur wrestler. So, how much of an advantage do you think that that gave you having that base when you did finally make 
that move to uh, the cage. Oh, I, I, uh, a great deal of advantage just for a lot of the things that you just pointed out there. I mean, yeah. you know, just talk about the number of matches in a day. Um, you know, the yeah, like in a tournament. Rule, yeah, it, the, the current rule right now is you you are you are now limited to five matches in a day, five max. Uh, uh. Now, as you show it, the max I've ever did was seventeen. In one day. Wow. Again, that was that was during my high school days, and, and, and when I was looking to uh, gather a great deal of attention, when I finally had colleges uh, looking at me, I, I decided mm. to do something uh, kind of re- almost what I actually thought was crazy at the time. I, I went my age group, which was junior, anything underneath 18 years of age, but I also went three weight classes. 198, 220 heavyweight. You could do that at that time. They, they won't allow you to do that today. Mm-hmm. And then I, I then I went to the open category, which is anything over eight, uh, 18 years of age, uh, three weight classes. Again, 198, 220 heavyweight. So most, uh, you know, the rest of the gym right there had had three mats, and so I, I could be wrestling on mat number one, and then they might be calling me on deck for mat number two, and in the hole on mat number three, which means I'm wrestling right now. There's somebody else that's wrestling on mat number two, but I'm the next match up. And on mat number three, there's two matches before me, and then I, I will be up. <laughs> so, but that was when I, you know, wrestling was my life. I, you know, my cardiovascular was off the hook. And I, I literally would walk from one mat to the next match to the next match. And I was also <laughs> a pinning machine. So I didn't spend a lot of time out there to turn myself off. So I always tell people that in one day, I did two age groups six weight classes, 17 matches later, I walked out of that gymnasium with six gold medals, and now I had the amateur wrestling world talking, and I had coaches off the chain. They're like going, who is this kid? Yeah. What is this? It, this is like a machine you know, at that, at that, at that mm-hmm. point that what I did. But I always tell people that I achieved things early in life, and now I'm that guy on the other side of the mountain because am I getting better? No, I'd be I'd be a fool to say that I'm on the other side of the mountain. I've been sliding. I've been sliding for some time now. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why I say residue. And, and what might even boggle your mind that much more is the fact that to do a 20 year career, I'm lifetime. I'm lifetime chemical free, and mm-hmm. that, that's. Being involved in wacky old professionals, and that, that says an awful lot right there. But even in the MMA world, you know, you see how many people get, get in trouble for, for, for PDs and things of that nature. So I'm lifetime chemical-free. But the real kicker here is that I did two training camps. In a 20-year span, I did two training camps, once for 32 days, once for 35. The rest of the time, I just walked out there in the cage. Huh. I, I, I did I did ongoing classes at my training facility and or or being on a road, but then you know, half the time I'm just trying to hike my my trunks up to hide, hide my, my, my rolls on my side and uh, the referee as they're asking the question like uh, you got any last minute questions for me and I'd be like, huh. uh, does this does this outfit make me look fat? <laughs> and they'd be looking. They'd be yeah, looking like that's not the question. That's not the kind of question they're expecting just before yeah. throwing leather. <laughs> yeah. So when you get to when you do uh, uh, get to uh, cage fighting, I mean you're prepared. But how in the world did that come up to where you know you say opportunity, but how did that opportunity come your way? 
and then you ended up actually fighting. Um, well, well, during uh, again right around that that uh, ninety, uh, well ninety was ninety two. I say no, the, the very first official because I, yeah. I I jumped into professional wrestling as of the ninety two Olympics. I jumped into professional wrestling. That's, that's my first profession. Okay, UFC that exists yet. In fact, the very first UFC show is. December of 1993. Most people don't know that. I always just say that I've been involved with this since 1994. I did not know about UFC 1 either because again, pay-per-view has advanced immensely since that time period. Back at that time period, pay-per-views were only offered up into major metropolitan areas. I'm, I'm living out in you know, Coldwater, and we, we didn't get pay-per-views. So a friend of mine is what brought it to my attention and said, you ought to think about doing this. And mm-hmm. he showed me, like, first uh, couple UFCs on an old VHS tape. And I've seen people being soccer kicked in the face, teeth yeah. flying out out. Yeah. And I'm thinking <laughs> myself, I look at him, I go, I go you, you, you realize these are skill sets that I do not possess. But yeah. that's what he said. Well, look at this. Give me a little guy doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Of course, he was referring to Hoist Gracie. Nice, yeah. And uh, I said, well, he said, I guess a man's got to be close enough in order to, you know, reach out, punch me with a hand or to kick me. I, I, I'll just stay out of range of, of, of an arm or leg. And then as they throw it, they recoil it. I'll simply just move on in to clinch him or jam him up against the cage wall or take them out. And I mean, literally, it's ironic, Sean, but that little mindset served me oh so well for a 20-year career. And I, I never deviated because I... Again, I watch how people trade, and mm-hmm. there's not too many people that know how to think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. They're really all that creative. They all there are still things I still show to this day in mixed martial arts. I always refer to it. I'll show you how to do, how to close distance, how to get two clinches, how to uh, jam people up against a cage wall, and I still see people that are not doing this. I'm thinking, Jesus. These these things are available out on the internet nowadays. So, you know, explore yourself. At least have your your, your coaches or team or whatever. I, I'm still amazed, even though I'm a 60 year old cat. There's so much knowledge I can still bring to individuals. And, and every now and then, I will watch a token match here or there, and just to, to kind of pick it apart a little bit. I think, wow. But but you know, what you, what you said, one of the greatest attributes or, or greatest claims, uh, fames of claim, uh, claims, excuse me, claims of fame that, that I have right there is the fact that I brought wrestling to this no-holds-barred world. And mm-hmm. today, now, when you simply look at just the pure fact, you look at the, the top 10 guys per weight class on a mixed martial arts, uh, you know, rating scale right there, eight or nine of these guys are from an amateur wrestling background. Not a guy that's there and sat on the bench because that's why he sat on the bench. But if you have someone, an athlete, a wrestler that was successful in his career, whether that was in high school, collegiately, or on an international basis, there is a work ethic and a mindset equal to none. Yeah. And and during that, when you first entered that world, and you mentioned, you know, that it was... uh, it was Wild West. It was a street fight. I mean, all the, the rules were you couldn't uh, eye gouge and you couldn't bite. bite. 
Uh, how how crazy was it back then? What was that world like? I mean, it, you got guys that were you know just bar brawlers, and you know. Yeah, well, I, I kept uh, kept a copy of one of the contracts right there because I know that people would question that one day, and uh, it even mm -hmm. states in, in in smaller print at the bottom of the contract in the event of mm -hmm. your accidental death. Let's see, <laughs> and suppose you don't bite somebody. Or stick a finger in their eyes. There's a whole lot of other ways you could take a man's life without ever violating those two rules. Right. So, yeah. And, and so, I mean, it was it, how dangerous was it back then? I mean, it really was human cockfighting, wasn't it? Oh well, again, if you, uh, I don't know uh, how many matches are, are are out on the open internet anymore, yeah. but I think a lot of it, especially if it has to do with the the Open Fighting Championship, it's, it's on their their fight pass. Uh, but if you saw a match like uh, uh, Gary Goodrich, I've got to think who who who, who he wrestled with. Uh, he, but he got one guy caught in a crucifix, and he and he must have thrown, I'll say, five to seven sh head shots with an elbow. That I mean, the, the man was knocked out by the second one. You know, mm -hmm. and his head, head is like a bobblehead the way it just flopping mm -hmm. back and forth. I I thought he killed the guy on that one. But then there's other guys yeah. that uh, you know have been the same way that you see these head kicks and knees to the head and things of that nature is like, oh, as it's slowly changing from mixed, uh, should be from no holds barred to mixed martial arts, they just be just flip those white light switch and, and it changed across the United States. I, I could be up in, you know, uh, Montana somewhere uh, doing, doing a fight show and I'm like going, I've got my opponent pinned up against the cage on my desk. So I'm like, uh, hey ref, am I allowed to? Here I'm tipping my hat to my opponent. But I'm, yeah. not allowed, I'm not about to have a rules violation against me, though, as as well. Ugh. And so, you know, and as the rules were coming out, you know, Big John would, would, would uh, touch base with me, like, okay, he's like, okay, Dan, he goes, uh, how do you beat this new rule? Because he simply knows that I'm, I'm thinking all the time. And, and, <laughs> and even right now, uh, I, I, I can't believe how these fighters are not exploiting the, 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 just one current rule right now, and it's uh, elbow to an opponent's head from the 12 to 6 position. Do, do, do you know what I'm talking about when I, when I say mm -hmm. that, Sean? Okay, so no, if, if, uh, if, if, you if, you, if you take me down, you're inside my guard, mm -hmm. you are not allowed to raise your hand to the ceiling and to bring a point of an elbow down to strike me with it. This rule is known as 12 to 6. Mm -hmm. And yeah. With the clock. If you, if, yes, yep. If you take me down, I'm laying on my back. I could do the exact same thing. I could raise my hand above my head, and I could deliver an elbow strike right to your head. And to me, it's like for they think from north south being stand on your feet, stand on your feet from head to toe is is a no-no, and yet I can lay on my back and do the exact same thing, and it's okay. Mm. So literally... Well, back then, I what showed, was the craziest What was the craziest event that you ever were involved in back then? Well, I think one of them was when they, uh, I think where they shut the, uh, uh, was like, uh, there was supposed to be an event in Niagara Falls, and they shut it down, and they, they shipped us down to, uh, where they shipped us to, to Alabama or something like that, to, to do it, uh -huh. and to do that all in a 24-hour period of time, that was, that was crazy. Because we're all up, up, but up, as far yeah. as uh, as far as no holds barred goes, I mean, uh, was there just no, an, that, uh, 
One, well, no, it was hard, or, or being in Japan, being, being, uh, you know, what I turned out that I was, I did not realize at the time, I just, to me, it was like, you know, when, when Noah's bar broke, I had all kinds of companies that were simply just contacted me. Uh, oh, you know, here, here's the absolute craziest one. No, but uh, I get, a, I, get a, a, I get contacted to do a show in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Now, this this group wanted to, I mean, they're, they're offering some crazy money here right now. And they, they, they want no rules. They, you know, they, they want to be better than what the UFC was. It's kind of like anything goes. And they, uh, you can actually wear Levi jeans and cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. And, and this event was going to take place in an oversized cockfighting pit. They were going to start with roosters. Progress to dogs. And then main event with human beings. Wow. All spilling blood, all spilling blood in the same sand. Ugh. Now again, they're they're offering me some some crazy some crazy money, and that's you know. And I go, let me think about this. So I, as I think about that, I think you know, at the time for the payoff, is it going to be cheaper to pay Dan Severed, or is it going to be cheaper to put a bullet in his head? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I, 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 honestly. That's what crossed my mind. I go and I, I turned, I turned it down. Yeah. Well, if you would have lived, it would have been a great story, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that would have been some, some story to tell, but it it eventually, I mean, uh, money was not really great at that time uh, before it became what we know today as the UFC. And I know that Ken Shamrock has mentioned before that that's kind of what drove him away from the sport for a while. and, And he ended up in professional wrestling, uh, what at that point in time, what was it that, that, uh, you know, that you stepped away from it or got into professional wrestling? Well, no, I mean, that's where again, a lot of people don't realize I was a professional wrestling first as of the 1992 Olympics. And I always, I, I'm always correcting people on that. They're like, well, cause we first saw you in the WWF. Yeah. That's the first major professional right. wrestling company I was with, right. but I started my professional wrestling career in 1992, uh-huh. and that because I always tell people I'm actually the very first professional wrestler ever to step inside the octagon mm-hmm. and to win the UFC and stand in the octagon holding up both the NWA heavyweight title belt and the UFC uh, tournament five winner belt. I'm the only guy in history to, to, that could say that they, they were standing there in the octagon. That, that, I, actually, that even they allowed, maybe in the UFC, when I, I first I tried to get clearance, they didn't want, they didn't, uh, the UFC did not want to have nothing to do with professional wrestling because they wanted to simply know, hey, we are the real deal. And I just basically said, well, I, I just, I said, you don't understand the, edu- the, the history of this NBA belt and some of the people that have held it. And I go, rest assured, you'll never have any problems with me and professional wrestling and, you know, any kind of misconduct. So they did allow the belt to be carried out. out and I even told the, the guys, Rob, I had, I had uh, five people in part of my, my entourage. I had four people on the outskirts of me. And I go, you guys are the show. They're all dressed up in, in uh, well, actually, that was for the ultimate, so for, for, for different, but I mean, but, 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 but the belt was carried, carried out at that point. But, you know, these guys were dressed up in, in stars and stripes and stuff like that. It, it, it was a show. Yeah. And I go, I said, you guys are the show. Me, my mind has to be somewhere else because I have to, I have to become somebody different when I walk into that cage. 
I'm not going to be part of the hoopla, stuff like that. When, when it's all done and over, oh, yeah, I'll be part of the hoopla at that point in time. But I got to take yeah. care of business first. Yeah, but so how did you, though, uh, you know, get to the point where you're going to be trained? You can't just, just go from that uh, uh, that skill set of being a um, you know an MMA fighter and then become a professional wrestler because it's, it's very different. You need to be trained. So uh, right. what did you do at that point? Who brought you in? I know that you trained with Al Snow, but how did that all come about? And was was it money driven, or was it just another goal that you had set? Well, what was no, behind I mean, it? it was, uh, no, I, I mean, in the very beginning, why I even stepped into doing all the crazy things I was doing? Uh, yeah. uh, again, uh, you know, as, as I was telling people, life happens. Yeah. Right around that same 1992 period of time, I was uh, I've been coaching for basically for a, a dec for a decade. I was involved with Arizona State's wrestling program. First five years to an athlete, second five years as an assistant wrestling coach to Bobby Douglas. Yeah. Well, then also an opportunity, but there was, I, I, you know, my salary, <laughs> my salary as an assistant wrestling coach was $3,200 a year. Oh, my God. Now, okay, so I can't live on $3,200 no. a year. So I, actually, I had a full-time job. I was actually working for a, weight, a weightlifting company by the name of Olympic Enterprises. And I, I mean, I absolutely love that. Uh, and, and the, you know, the guy saw what a, what a workhorse I was and he would allow me, uh, you know, to, to leave early every day and then head up to Arizona state. And a lot of times I was making deliveries on my way to Arizona state. I was driving, driving a company uh, vehicle and making deliveries, then going right to Arizona state, dressing on out and, uh, helping to run practices. And then, uh, when, when that was done, uh, you know, get cleaned up and head up in the office, take care of whatever office work that I had to do for Arizona State, and then I I, I finally go home after that. So I mean, that's what I I mm. did. But you know, I get to to to, to get back to your answer right there. Uh, I went from Arizona State to a job opportunity came at Michigan State. You know, now they're offering me twenty thousand dollars a year. I'm thinking, wow, I'm rich. You know, because <laughs> I make twenty thousand dollars a year, and and I'm doing what I really love to do, and that is be involved with wrestling. And I could keep keep on wrestling myself because uh, this was uh, you know all I forget the exact time period, but but that was just a great opportunity for me to be about a sport. And I'm doing this at at, at the Big Ten. That the Big Ten it, uh, was and still is the heartbeat for amateur wrestling. So I get to go and I get to go back to my home state. So it, yeah. a, a lot of things well things didn't really work out the way I was hoping. They would be right there. I was with uh, Michigan State program for a couple of years. I leave. I now I put in my my degree to work. So I'm, I'm literally I'm commuting uh, seven hours, uh, and I'm seeing my family one day a week. So I'm mm. just make a long story short that when I I, I I get this opportunity now, I'm commuting 82 miles. I'm, I, I'm doing a shorter commute instead of seven hours. I'm now only commuting 82 miles. Yeah. Uh, and, and the guy who hired me, I, I'm living in Owasso, Michigan, and I'm, I'm driving to Albion, Michigan, and I'm uh, working every day, and I'm still trying to wrestle because now on my way back home, I'm stopping at various colleges and various programs, getting a workout here, getting a workout there. And I'm trying to make, 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 still trying to make the 92 Olympic team, and all I know is that the guy who hired me for this job at LB Michigan, he went out to bigger, better things down in Coldwater, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And 
He knew the good, good job that I was doing with, with the previous company, so now he offers me more money. He offers me profit sharing. He, he offers me all kinds of things that any young guy wants to hear with all the bells, buzzers, and whistles. I'm like, well, how long do I have to think about this? He goes, two weeks. So literally, having shown in, in a two-week period of time, I sold a home. I bought a home. I went to work. And at the end of the first week, I did not have a job. <laughs> and, and, and I bought a bigger home all based upon salary and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, and this was this is back in the 1992 period of time. And the United States was in a recession, borderline depression. I tried to find a guy who hired me. He is missing in action. Mm. I even go to an attorney friend. What can I do? He's like, you know, can I sue the company? Can I sue this guy? And that's when, uh, when what, what was it? What's, what's, what's called there? When they can, uh, uh, there's no recourse. Um, but I, I did not have a leg to stand upon. Mm-hmm. So I basically, I had been, I had been approached by a number of professional companies to the mid eighties. I'm like, I got to keep the roof over, over my family's head. I got to keep food at the table. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they did not know the turmoil because I was, I was keeping them in the dark. They just know that yeah. man, dad, dad is all over the place doing whatever he has to do right there. And so, I mean, literally I saw, uh, stuff, you know, I, I, there was also a, a green light that came in from the United States Olympic Committee came up with a new rule that you could be an amateur and a professional simultaneously mm. as long as you were not involved in a high school or a collegiate program. You couldn't be a wrestler in high school or a wrestler on a collegiate level. Well, my collegiate eligibility was gone. Mm. So I could have my cake and eat it too. So I aggressively started pursuing this, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Dennis Kasperwitz, he was the president of the Michigan Wrestling Club. I was the head coach. So when the meetings would be done for for our club duties, I would be picking his brain because I am aggressively going after whatever. So he, go, he, he, he does paint a very dark and dreary picture about the, the world business. pressure. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Matter of fact, even today, I always I uh, fast forward to today. I'll tell people I go that I think about it. I go, have you ever seen the movie with Mickey Rourke, the wrestler? Yeah. And when they say, I'll, I'll say, well, it's part of your, it's part of your homework. Go watch that movie, and realize this is a great depiction of that industry. Mm-hmm. I, and I always tell people it's the absolute worst industry I've ever been involved in. Because it's a very backstabbing industry. And I mean, from all aspects of it. Uh, but I, I will say that it, it, op- it awakened a creativity in me I, I, I did not know I ever had. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I have met some wonderful individuals along the way. Because like I said, I, uh, Dennis Casfoot brought me down to Lime, Ohio. And he introduced me to El Sil. He had the Body Slammers gym. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I aggressively, I mean, when I mean aggressively, people understand, I aggressively pursued professional wrestling. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it, this only class to take place two, two times a week. I, I need more than that. I, I, I need, to, need to make money and stuff like that. 
And uh, I, I did not have all that much training behind me. Uh, I ended up buying a, a set of ring posts off L. I, I made, I made my own ring inside of my, inside of my. Uh, well, it wasn't, wasn't called a training facility at the time. It was, it was a storage facility that mm-hmm. I had on my property. So I, I put my own ring in there, and then I'm, I'm living. I'm, whenever I'm learning at L's place, I'm just I'm training it the rest of the days until I can go to the next class at L's and I'm learning more. And when guys mm-hmm. and when guys inside the ring talk at each other, I'm like, guys, uh, I don't mean to be rude, but get out of the ring. Talk outside, <laughs> talk outside yeah. the ring. When you're in the ring, yeah. I go. You gotta work. I need, I need this. Use this ring. So again, and I, I, like I said, I had very little uh, training behind me. Uh, I mean, be, before I mean, help actually, uh, my my very first professional wrestling match ever. Was in a correctional facility, a prison show, <laughs> and so everything that Al was teaching me went right out the window because they're cheering, they're cheering on the hills and booing all the baby faces. So I was like, <laughs> "Reverse <laughs> right, psychology." Yeah, I yeah. saw. So, I mean, it, it was actually very comical. You know, from that, I, I that's kind of a long-winded answer there too. But I, I, I go from doing this professional wrestling, and, and literally, when I finally see my payday. After doing this, I'm realizing there's no money in professional wrestling. Yeah. You know, and, I, and, I, and I'm in the business, there isn't. And so I, I go from, from uh, I, 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 again, simultaneously, I'm doing professional matches, but now I see a, a flyer, tough man contest, first prize, $1,000. Damn it. I don't know what tough man is. I'm going to find out, but I sure need $1,000. So, wow. yeah. You could say it was money driven or out of necessity. It's not because, you know, I, I just wanted to make a thousand. No, I needed a thousand dollars. I got to pay my mortgage. Yeah. I got to keep food on the table. And I go, I, I tell people, I go, you, you go, the mind is a phenomenal tool. And to run as many years as I did, I always carried a picture of my kids. Uh-huh. And my and my my family that that was the one thing I I've always as I'm about to walk in that cage or do it I take a look at it, why am I doing this and then as uh-huh. I look out there I go I feel sorry for you because uh-huh. you stand between me and success no uh-huh. hard feeling for what's about to happen I'll shake your hand before I'll shake your hand after but I'm about to discombobulate you in the process and that's really yeah, what, and- what what I did. Yeah, and you continue to fight. You did. We're in both worlds. Uh, I was but, doing both. I mean, yeah. People not, would not realize. And, and my planner, when I tell people I'd be on the road for twenty some odd days out of yeah. a month, I'd be on the road. And as, as I woke up in the morning, as I'm rubbing the sleep out of my eyes, I'm looking around me and I'm thinking, "Where am I at? And what is my function there today?" Yeah. And I have to look at my planner and realize. Oh, tonight I'm a professional, sir. No, no, no. Tonight I'm a climb into a cage. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to walk out and I'll, I'll be teaching high school wrestlers. No, no. I'm going to be working with law enforcement. And, and, and you talk to me now. Fast forward 20 years. I still have that plan laying out in front of me. And I'm still... Was it... But, Dan, was it tough in those matches when you were going? You know, like I said, you were, you were doing cage matches at the same time. And then you might do a professional wrestling match. I mean, how did you separate the shoot from an actual fight when you were doing these matches, you know, the professional matches? There were times when you uh, were stiff and didn't mean to be because it was just instincts? 
Well, no, no, I, to separate I, I, I mean, I, I liked. I mean, I enjoyed. I enjoyed each one for what they represented. Mm. Now, I always just, I always would tell the guys that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working with on the professional wrestling. I go, I said, you know, uh, it's one of the drawbacks with working with me. I said, I'm an awfully snug wrestler. And, and, and yeah. there'd be, there are some of these guys that are very, they're very loose and very, very soft. I mean, yeah. hence, you know, when you see wrestlers that shake hands, I just, I, I can't stand that handshake when they, when they put up those couple, two little, two or three little fingers, they do a little handshake. I, I always shake their hand like a man and they, okay, their eyes get big. Like, oh man, this guy going to be a good night. Oh, I go, this, I, I mix, I got that, but you two are shaking the hand like a man. Look me in the eye. Yeah. I said, I understand. And you understand, or you better understand, we're out there to put on an athletic performance. Yeah. I said, you know, and, so and I'm, I'm going to work I'm, with you, but I go, you'll, it'll be snug. But, uh, <laughs> but, but okay, it's going to be snug. It's a nice word. Be, yeah, okay, but, but you will never be in safer hands. I, I mean, let, yeah. let me, I know I'm going to go off to one more, one more story. Right there, but let me, let me, I, I got to share this one with you because I had a gentleman contact me during the same time period right here, or maybe a few years after at that time period, but all during the same, I'll say, crazy decade of my life right there, that yeah. uh, he calls me up and goes, do you do private lessons? I go, yeah, but I'm not a big fan of it. I go, uh, because I'm so grappling orientated, to be a private lesson is total three people, uh, me and you and one other person. He goes, well, why is that? I said, well, because it's all grappling. I go, I want you to feel it, but then you need to see it. So I need to show it on somebody else, but then I want you to do it to me to see, am I feeling what I should be feeling while this moves being applied? So hence I say, you know, a private lesson to me is three people. And uh, yeah. basically he says, well, I'd like to uh, sign up for maybe uh, a private, maybe two, you know, kind of really apprehensive, but I don't find so basically, he, he comes. He comes out, and uh, I'll say ten days later, he finally leaves. Uh, each day, he's taking a private class, but then he's uh, blending into my normal classes. And, and each day, I'm getting to know him a little more, and he's opened up more and more with me. And as he's opened up with me, he goes, "You realize?" Uh, he says, uh, "I own a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu franchise." Yeah, so now he's telling me how they're working about how, how the franchise works, stuff like this. And he goes, uh, he said, if they knew that I was taking private lessons from you, they would they would yank my franchise. I go, who am I going to tell? I go, I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody. And he goes, but he goes, what what do I what what do I tell him where I've been? I go, tell him you've been on vacation. He goes, but what about all these these techniques and tactics and, and moves that you show me? I go, I go, I go, don't. Don't just go back to your school and, and you know, uh, showcase everything at once. I go, just, you know, I said, show what they did here, show what they did. Now, the thing that he was telling me is that that he was one of the, the, the older guys. And, and, and uh, the, you know, he, he owned the school. He owned it, bought this franchise. He's the oldest guy uh, in there. And yet, he's like the canner father. Everyone is, everyone is tapping him out all the time. And I go, it's just slowly ease. Shows to show what they did here, what they did there. I said, so you know, we we come to the end, you know, it, it was it was nice, uh, you know, having a meal and stuff like that. It's good. But I go, give me a phone call back in about a month. I'd like to kind of hear how things go for you. So basically, about a month or so passes, he calls me up, and he is laughing up a storm. Mm-hmm. And he goes, 
he goes, he says, uh, he said, I did exactly what you said. I go back, and uh, I, I just roll with different uh, different guys, and uh, yeah, I, I just pull a, a technique here or a technique there, just kind of ease it out there. I just said, he said, over the course of the past month, he goes, I have tapped out everybody <laughs> in my room, yeah. and That's now great. they all want to go. On vacation. I want to where you to went. Where, to, to wherever I went to. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, so tell me about your experience uh, with, uh, you know, you work your way up and then you get to the National Wrestling Alliance uh, and end up a champion there. Uh, tell me about that experience and then also uh, the, the Smoky Mountain Wrestling that you were also involved in because it uh, it kind of started that relationship with you and Jim Cornette. Well, yeah, I'll say that that, that Jim was, uh, you know, I'll say, very gracious for uh, you know, allowing him to use Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I mean, that's the first time ever I had a chance to meet him. Yeah. And I mean, I'll say that uh, you know, his and my, my paths, our lives have crossed paths yeah. on three very important uh, time frames in my life. And, uh, and you know, Jim has been right there just to... Uh, support me a great deal. Even I should say a fourth time because even the one was more recently. What uh, he basically was going to, he was going to be retiring as as, as a manager, and mm-hmm. the one that shows that he he was at, uh, he found out I was on, on the card, and when they, when the promoter asked me, he goes, well, he goes, who would you like to manage? As what might be one of your last. And we found out when I was on the card, he goes, he goes, Dan Severn. And yeah. I know that was, uh, to me, it's like, well, what an honor. I mean, I did. Yeah, yeah what circle. I like most about, yeah, what I like most about Jim Cornette is the fact that he is so passionate about the business. I mean, yeah. when, when you talk to him and you ask questions to him, you could just see he's, he's telling it almost through like the child's eyes. And, and, and that's the kind of perspective you need to see from it. I, I actually, you know, on a personal note, I like professional wrestling when you had these over-exaggerated characters. I liked when you saw the, you know, the Georgie Animal Steel. You had, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Macho Man. Randy, Randy Savage, yeah. I, right. I, I just about, you just had these over-the-top, you got the whole Hogan, you got, you know, you got Ric Flair's. I mean, you, you, but you just got over-the-top characters. Yeah. And I really, I, I enjoyed that time frame of, you know, watching I, you know that, but at the same token, you know I should have been a throwback from days gone by. I should have been back out there with the the Harley races, the Luthers, and they, that that would have been more of my time there because you know I, I look like that throwback from yeah. from days gone by, and, and that's my my skill set. I'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, do uh, uh, crazy uh, uh, promos, and I'm not, I'm not gonna wear crazy outfits. I mean, even the outfits I wore. Or the exact same outfits I wore in the Oklahoma Fighting Championships. Yeah. I mean, you can realize I, the, the same wrestling shoes I was wearing out in, in the uh, for professional wrestling were the same shoes that I wore in the Ultimate Fighting Championships. And people like shoes at the Ultimate. You can't wear shoes. Yeah, you could. I, I think I was one of very, very, very few people that ever wore shoes. But they told me that well, Dan, if you wear wrestling shoes, you cannot kick or stop. I'm thinking, well. Uh, I don't do that anyway. So what did I lose? Nothing. But yeah. I simply knew that on a, on a, on a uh, map surface like that, uh, it would give me a little bit better grouping ability because you know a little bit of uh, sweat stuff like that 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 uh, on, on vinyl that becomes awfully slippery surface. But 
Sean, I just want to just let you know that we, we do have to kind of wrap this up in the next few minutes. I'll be more happy to do a part two there with you so that, that, that we keep your, your listeners there. But uh, Well, before I get you off, though, could I just wanted to talk about the uh, your experience with the WWF and if you can kind of surmise that and how you got there uh, before we lose you. Uh, but what are your, your recollections and what do you remember about that time? It was a, a short but uh, very impactful. You can realize right now, I, I don't want to make anything short when it comes to answer. I, I, a lot of people may realize this, but I have a teaching degree from, from Arizona State University. That's, that's yeah. the degree I walked away. I was actually the first wrestler ever to be enrolled in the construction engineering program, but that's a very intense six-year program taking 20-plus credits a semester. Yeah. Most jocks only have to take 12 credit hours a semester. So I'm taking 20-plus credits. Still wrestling, traveling. I did that for about the first two years, and then I thought, I can't keep up with this program. I had to switch from the College of Engineering to the College of Education. But then, uh, you know, I, I had, when I graduated, I only needed like 120 credits. I think I had 150 some odd credits because I, I started electing to take other classes in business and things of that nature because my education was, well, I, I, I don't ever like to use the word free because it wasn't free. Mm. I paid I paid a price of athletics on you know yeah right so but a lot of people don't understand when they say that word free um, you know WWF uh, boy I don't even I don't even start this because I was I was being recruited at both times Washington mm -hmm. from the two yeah WCW companies. wanted to talk to you too right yep Ted Turner uh, with uh, uh, Eric Bradshaw at the help. So I, I basically I I basically went with the both organizations to hear what they had to say. Uh, so it was kind of cool because uh, I always tell people I didn't call them; they called me. So it, it, it's right. kind of a cool situation. And uh, I mean, really, it's the, I hit the high notes. Um, I I was looking for a unique contract because I knew that I knew that neither one of these companies realized how old I was. Mm -hmm. And so I did not want an exclusive contract because since I went exclusive where I'm now, I'm just working for one or the other. Uh, I, I, I'm not about to give up a year of my life. Yeah, I mean, you want to be able to keep doing what you're doing and, and work for them. Yeah. Well, again, I want, I want to do all the other things I'm doing right along there with it. I, I don't mind making you maybe the, the exclusive professional wrestling company yeah. I'm working for, but you know, I, I don't want that to stop me with what I'm doing in MMA. I don't want that to stop me doing what I'm doing in amateur wrestling and, and all the other things because I was starting to work with law enforcement at that point in time, the corrections and air marshal, border patrol, military. Jeez. And uh, so I, I just said, you know, so I mean, really the thing was that, uh, uh, I mean, uh, I'll say that for the most part, I, I negotiated most of my own contract. I, I had a, a friend uh, uh, that, uh, Robert, that helped me out a great deal, an attorney from back east that helped me out a great deal. And because I, I just said, you know, please read the veto of the contract. This is what they said they're going to do. But you know, with, with all that legal jargon, one word yeah. can make the whole thing null and void or mean something totally different. So, um, I, yeah, I'll say for the most part, I, I negotiate most of my own contracts. Yeah. So you work out a deal. You work out a deal with WWF, and and so um, that time that you spent there. I mean, did you enjoy it? Was it? A, 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 I know that uh, at the end, it, it didn't. 
it worked out, but it wasn't uh, you know the way you had had planned, I yep. guess. But look, but look at, uh, you work yeah, with some just, great talent. Yeah, just just looking back, they used me very well at the beginning, and then I I, I think they realized when they had no type of control over me. Mm-hmm. At because uh, I could come and go. I mean, I only had to give them. You know, the average wrestler was working uh, under contract at at that time, 187 dates a year. Yeah, and my contract was only for 60 dates, six mm-hmm. zero. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and I had to know about my schedule ahead of time because of all those things that I'm working it, working into it. And uh, it, it did. It, it, that that industry opened up my eyes in a lot of different ways. I mean, it's a uh, that's the thing, though, is, is that uh, I know that I could, I could, I know, like I could call the UFC, I could call Dana White, and he'll take my call. I know that I could mm-hmm. call WWE, and a Vincent man would take my call because I'm not going to bullshit you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to get to the point that pretty quick why I'm calling, and if we can work together on whatever it is I'm, I'm going to propose, they would consider it. So that is, it's mm-hmm. nice knowing that you have that type of a reputation. Um, or even the first, within the first couple of weeks I was working for, again, I was doing a WWE at, at the time. Uh, when I speak to a lot, of, a lot of the guys, you know, as we're walking back and forth to, to whatever, from the, the, we're at the show, from cafeterias to uh, wherever the, the locker room says that nature, every time that, that, that they see it, uh, see each other and say, hey, Rock, hey, uh, hey uh, Stone Cold, hey, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, they're, they're calling each other by either a stage name or the real name, but it seemed like each time that they saw me, it was kind of like, oh, how are you today, Mr. Seffert? There's always Mr. Seffert. Really? I'm thinking of myself as I go on, well, you know, maybe it's uh, you know, some kind of a rib or something like that that's being pulled or something like that. I just I just let it go, but then yeah, after a couple of weeks, I have to have one of them you know, one on one, like I brought this up. I go, why? Why is it that uh, you know each time that you guys see each other, you know, you refer to each other by either a stage name or by your by the real name? But whatever it's like to me, it's like it's always Mr. Shepard. He looks at me, he goes, he goes, he goes, dude, you're from the real world. You scare us because <laughs> we, we know that out in this world of fantasy. Yeah. That you could turn our world upside down yeah. and start spudding us all over the place. <laughs> so yeah. I just I, I just laughed. I said I, I just told the, the gentleman that, that told me that I said you know I'm here for the same reason you guys are here. I'm yeah. here I, I'm here I, I, because they all knew that they're like going ah, watch out we're working with seven the, shit the guys tighter than a pipe bridge. I, I yeah. Quiet. yeah I'm going to work snug, but so, you are going to be safe. Yeah. You took care of him, and and was it uh, was it the six 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 gimmick that really uh, ended it for you? Uh, that was enough. Yeah, that's uh, when you know the, the cycle of a professional wrestler. I mean, they're gonna take a baby face yeah. to a heel, a heel to a baby face, and you know they got this creative team that's coming up with these ideas, some pretty wacky ideas. Well, that was one of the ideas that they approached me with. Approached me with this six 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 mark of the beast. Yeah. And they could be an undertaker, disciple, or something like this. And I'm like going, wow, you know, uh, I, yeah, I'm not crazy about this idea whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And all I know is that, that it basically that sort of led to the 
the demise. I, I, you know, they used really good at the beginning. I don't think they really. I don't think they really know what to do with me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I again, be it. Yeah, I had never worked with a company like that as to how much really input I could have put into it to let them know because, you know, I, you know, when they when the thought of turning into a heel, I had put together some ideas of what I could live with mm-hmm. as being a heel. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I, I walked in there with a certain reputation, and I'm not, you know, and, and I'm not going to throw this reputation away. On a two-year contract, yeah. I, I just you know, so, and then, 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 then I have to go back and re-engage, and then people are like you know, because the last people I ever going to remember Dan said like, oh, well, whatever happened to Dan said last I knew he had six 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 across his forehead, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. an Undertaker disciple, and like that guy went off the deep end, didn't he? And I'm thinking that's I I don't I don't need money that bad. I could I could go out and get a job. That's all. I mean. <laughs> It's, I mean, Sean, I have a teaching degree. I could be yeah. a substitute teacher five days a week here right now. I could go yeah. and uh, apply at a local junior college or at, at a four-year university, no problem there, and uh, and get a job if that's what I want to do. I'll say that my world was turned upside down back in 1992 for a job opportunity. And it hmm. forced me from the norm of working at, at, at normal type of jobs where yeah. I've been independently uh, employed ever since the 1992 Olympics. And I mean, it has been a, a three week circus for all I've, I've yeah. done. And I, I've, got, I've got one book out there, but then they come close to portraying the craziness huh. of what I've, I, I, I've done in order to provide for family. But it's yeah. took it down, on the flip side of the coin is being an absentee parent because, you know, I'm on the road. Yeah, it's just not the yeah. it's not the same thing to say to your child that you know dad's only a phone call away. But yeah. when they have a boo boo or they're feeling bad or something like this, you can't hug them, you can't hold them, you know. So that's that's kind of yeah. I, I've seen, just recently I've seen a couple movies like uh, I don't know if you see this new clip piece with the mule. Oh, the mule, yeah. Have you have you seen this? No, I haven't. But uh, I, I I'm a big fan of. of uh, Clint Eastwood, so I'm, I will definitely uh, catch it. Same here, but I mean, I've I seen a couple movies just recently, but, but it's almost like there are certain elements of this, like as I'm watching, I'm going, wow, I know exactly what this this character that Clint Eastwood's doing because I invested so much time into what I was doing. I, I'm like, that I'm off, you know, 20 days this month, and I, I missed another birthday. I missed another yeah. anniversary. I missed this, I missed that. So it's good. So when, when I go to certain things that people want to run up there and, and run up to me and say, will you autograph this for me? Or you are, can I take a picture with you? I'm like, no. Yeah. And then they're like, why? I said, because you haven't paid the price. <laughs> I I have. Yeah. Well, Dan, quite a, quite a legacy, really. And, um, you know, all, all these years that uh, you've done this and, and still uh, making your mark. But... Uh, I really want to thank you for coming on. One question I do have for you, though, for uh, just the last question here is, you know, a lot of people wonder, I mean, you've been in uh, with over 100 victories in MMA competition, and a lot of people wonder, like, why does somebody step into that ring, face another man, or face, you know, the, and, and uh, you know, and, and the goal is to, to win. But it, it's, it's more than uh, physically 
defeating a man. What? Why did you do it? Why do? You, what? What was your driving force? Uh, I, I mean, I don't think you were in there to hurt somebody. No, no, it's uh, you know, again, I've I've had several careers. So professionalist is one thing that that's the sports entertainment part. And in the world from from Noah's bar to mixed martial arts, mm-hmm. to me, I looked at it as an athletic contest. Basically, a, a, a physical game of chess where checkmate is going to hurt. Um, and I was always trying from, again, I'm always speaking from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I have tried to win a not so nice contest the nicest way I possibly can. <laughs> I've, I've been involved in several matches where I know that I've got my opponent rendered helpless. And I'm looking up at the referee, like, why are you not stopping this match? Matter of fact, one of them, one of the most classic ones is in the Ultimate Fighting Championships. The first time I'm facing Oleg Viktorov, the Russian bear. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. it's the first time they had ever seen knees being dropped on, on the forehead of, of a human being. And, I mean, there was, there was, there was so much blood that flowed off of Oleg's forehead it filled up his eyewalls mm. toward he he couldn't see me I could drop knees and he would have never would have seen him come without him and you if you anyone ever goes gets a chance to, to review that match that's for UFC number five and uh, you'll see three distinct times where I stopped I look up at, at the big job because they're like why is this match and keep continuing on and uh even when, when Oleg finally turned his head sideways to let the blood blood run out the corner of his uh, of his one eye and out the corner of his nose, mm. and uh, he exposed his temple. It didn't even cross my mind. Drop a knee now, but if I dropped a knee now, right into his temple, I would I, I, I could have potentially have killed him. Yeah. And to me, it's like going, I want to win, but I want I don't, I'm not there to, to do something like that. I really I always tell people I've only ever had one match in my entire career where I'll simply say this, evil begot a greater evil. And what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop at that point so that we have a little cliffhanger so if they okay. want to tune in to our second interview. How's that? That sounds great. All right. Dan Severn, thank you so much for joining us here on Primetime and we will talk again. Yep. Uh, uh, the little thing I want to throw out there is that I do have a website at uh, dansevern.com. S-E-V-E-R-N, dansevern.com. All right. Everything you need to know about Dan Severn, folks, go there, dansevern.com. All right, Dan, take care. Thanks, Sean. My, oh my, what an amazing individual. Dan is over 60, as we mentioned. Uh, I, I haven't seen him, but I know he's in incredible shape. Uh, he, he could get in the ring now if uh, if he really wanted to. I mean, he would he could he could step into the uh, in an MMA octagon and fight it out. He is just incredible. His MMA record, listen to this, is 101 wins, 19 losses, and seven draws. 101 wins. That means you're going in there, uh, <laughs> just. Uh, fists, uh, elbows, knees, everything. That guy is just incredible. Now, he says uh, he's had even more fights 
but this was before they've you know MMA officially began recording the results of these matches of these bouts. So good lord, who knows how many other victories that uh, Dan Severn has. And of course, let's not forget his time in the world uh, of professional wrestling. And I love the fact that when he's talking about when he was with the WWE, that all the boys called him Mr. Severn <laughs> because they were they were afraid to call him anything else. And I think that was wise. I really do. So uh, I had a great conversation with Mr. Severn. That's the way I want to keep it. I want to keep on good terms with him. With Dan Severn. All righty. Once again, don't miss your chance to become an official primetime uh, with Sean Mooney, Patreon member. Uh, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. And as I mentioned before, we now have added the best and most spectacular tier, the Legion of Who. The Legion of Who. I love that. Besides all of the other fantastic perks uh, with the other tiers, you will immediately get your choice of one of the fine T-shirts from the PTSM collection. And after six months, you, that's right, you will do a podcast with me featuring you. Yes, you will be my guest, and that episode will appear as a bonus episode just like all the rest on Patreon. All right? So what are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com slash Mooney. That's patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. And before we go, I must mention we have a couple of Patreon birthday shout outs, another one of the perks. If it's your birthday, we're going to let everybody know. And this week, we're letting everybody know it's Dustin Wilms' birthday, which is taking place on January 29th. And also, Sean Daniels. Sean Daniels, uh, happy birthday to you, too. Uh, his birthday is January 26th. Happy birthday, guys. Uh, once again, check out Primetime with Sean Mooney's uh, uh, T-shirt collection, PTSM uh, T-shirt collection at MooneyTees.com. We make it so easy, don't we? Uh, more great merch is on the way. Hey, guys, what do you think about hats? Yes, we now have a connection. We are going to be able to make hats. We're going to get them made up. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, get yourself a Sean Mooney Who shirt or maybe a Mooney is Money shirt. Or maybe just an official PTSM shirt. You know, Primetime with Sean Mooney shirt. Check them out at MooneyTees.com. Well, another great episode is on the way next week. Hoping uh, I will have uh, some special announcements to tell you. I'm just trying to lock things up here. But I'm hoping I'm having a, we'll have some special announcements for you. Uh, until then, have a great week, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. <laughs>